Well, we need a uh, little bit of correction from the pulpit this morning. Don't you get excited when you hear your pastor talk about correction from the pulpit? Um, and it's more significant than the distinction between spice and space. Um, far greater than that. Eric, you're in good company when you're rolling with me. Um, last week, your pastor brought an error into the pulpit, and God was gracious with him. Um, your pastor made reference to the second person of the Trinity being who? The Holy Spirit, which is a grave, grave error because the second person of the Trinity is who? Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Absolutely. That's in our doctrinal statement and that's everywhere. So the good news for you is that our righteousness and our perfection is in Christ, not your pastor. I am not Jesus. And the good news is God brings correction, and his correction is sweet and it's good. So let's put that on the record. Second person of the Trinity, it's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, I want to bring your attention this morning to Psalm 23. Psalm 23, our focus this morning is going to be on Christ's kingdom care for his disciples. And in Psalm 23, King David writes, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And I'm reading this because as we come back to Matthew's gospel and as we start to progress through the discipleship, the gospel ministry of Jesus, Increasingly, as we see Jesus take care of the disciples and minister to sinners throughout the region of Galilee, increasingly throughout the Gospels, what is very clear is that according to God's Word, Jesus is the Good Shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the Lord who has personally come to save His people from their sins, to restore their souls, and to lead them in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. And He doesn't just do it by giving us information. Part of the healing ministry of Jesus, which we'll focus on this morning, demonstrates that Christ's Word cares for the entire person. It's not just an intellectual endeavor. And how exactly does Jesus shepherd His sheep? Well, God shows us in Matthew 4 how Jesus does this. It begins with... Jesus making disciples. It begins with Jesus bringing sinners to repentance and faith in Him as the Savior and Lord of God's Word. And it begins with bringing lost sheep into a life-saving and life-transforming relationship with Himself. That, brothers and sisters, is what discipleship, as we've talked about in weeks past, is all about. And it's the way in which Christ cares for us. He does not care for us at a distance. And He does not care for us in a seminary per se. He cares for us personally Himself. And He does so by the power of His Spirit and His Word. And this is what sets Jesus apart. And this is what sets Him apart as the Messiah and as the King of God's Word. And this is what sets apart His kingdom from all the other kingdoms of men. And all the other kings of men in this fallen world. Jesus is God's shepherd king who rules and cares for his sheep 
with the light of God's word. Okay, this is our big truth, okay, for this Sunday and Lord willing, next Sunday as well. What we see and what we're to understand Christ's healing and his miracles, where we see they fit in, in God's word and what Jesus is doing. Jesus, when he performs miracles, is not putting on a show to gather crowds. It's not a night in Las Vegas starring Jesus. It is part of something far greater and something far more significant. And ultimately, it's about the way in which he cares for us by bringing us into his kingdom. And that's what we're going to look at this morning as we go through Matthew 4 and 5. And last week, our focus was on the gospel teaching and preaching of Christ's kingdom. And this week, our focus is going to be on something that is directly connected with the teaching and preaching of God's kingdom. And it is the healing of Christ's kingdom and Christ's care for his disciples. And it's what's described in Matthew 4, 23 through 24. But we're going to read through 4, 12 through 5, 3, this entire section. Because I want you to see the context within which Christ's healing takes place. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Matthew 4, verse 12. Now when he heard that John had been arrested, he, and that's Jesus, withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, the way of the sea beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets, and he called them. And immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis, and from Jerusalem and Judea, and from beyond the Jordan. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Well, I'm sure you're aware that there are few aspects of Jesus' gospel ministry which have been misinterpreted and misapplied and abused more than the gospel accounts of Jesus' supernatural miracles, especially Jesus' healing of people who are very sick. 
And what is frequently overlooked as we walk through these and as we see how this is played out in many of our churches in America today and around the world, something that's willfully ignored and overlooked is the testimony of God's Spirit and Word in Matthew 4, what we just read, that Christ's perfect care for His sheep, of which the miracles are a part, well, this includes His teaching and His preaching. And it begins and ends not with us, with our needs, with our expectations or what we desire. It begins and ends very clearly in this passage with God's Word and God's kingdom. His care for us, brothers and sisters, is about something far greater than miracles or a show. And that brings us to our first point for this morning. The Lord's care for His sheep is part of the gospel of God's kingdom. The Lord's care for His sheep is part of the gospel of God's kingdom. When I used to work as a physician, on occasion people would come to me for pain medications. And sometimes when they came, it was very clear they did not want an assessment. They did not want a physical exam. They were simply coming to me to get a prescription for oxycodone or Norco or pain medication. And what became clear for some, but not all, is that this really wasn't about a doctor-patient relationship. This really, this encounter was not about wellness or health or well-being. And wellness was irrelevant And life had become reduced to one goal and one object. And that was to get pain medications from me on a prescription. That's what it became. One thing. And brothers and sisters, I say that by way of illustration, and it's easy to point fingers, but when it comes to our suffering and our pain, our difficulties when life is hard, it becomes very easy, and this is me included, Julie will tell you, I'm no exception. It becomes easy for us to focus on ourselves. It becomes easy to focus on our pain. It becomes easy to focus on what is hard. It It becomes easy to focus on what we think we need. And we can lose sight of God. And we can lose sight of the good news of His kingdom and that we are children who belong to a God who loves us perfectly. And it can become easy to focus on what we think we need rather than what God or His Word says is best for us. And it becomes easy to separate the gift from the giver. And it becomes easy to separate Christ's miracles from the light of His kingdom and His Word. And it becomes easy to separate what Jesus says and what He does. And sadly, brothers and sisters, if you're like me, we do this all the time. And the further we get away from Christ, the more this becomes part of our fractured life. And the irony is that this is the very darkness and this is the very blindness that Christ came to save us from. He came to save us from the darkness and blindness that stops us from seeing who Jesus truly is according to God's word what we sang about this morning. 
And my point that I'm trying to make for you this morning is I believe as you walk through Matthew's gospel and you take every incidence of the healings and the miracles, this is very much what they're about. They're very much about the care of his people, but ultimately there's a bigger picture here. They're there as a sign to point us to who Jesus is according to his word. They're there to help us appreciate and understand who has come into our life, who we belong to, and who we have the opportunity to walk with. Because that, brothers and sisters, is ultimately what restores our souls and over time makes everything right. And when you look into the scriptures, that word miracles, when you go from the Old Testament to the New Testament, they are frequently referred to by this technical term, signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. Signs and wonders. And why do they call miracles signs and wonders? Well, first, it's a supernatural work of God that can come only from God the Creator, who is greater than nature and the laws of nature. But also the idea of a sign is that the importance is not in the sign, it's what the sign points to. That they're pointing to something that is greater than themselves. And brothers and sisters, that's true for you and I. We were created to point to something greater than ourselves. You've heard me use this illustration before. When we take that long trip, my in-laws are here with us today. When we take that long trip and we go to Cerritos and we go to Los Angeles and we get excited as we see the signs... Okay, first to Los Angeles and then Orange County or all of those different things. When we come there, we don't stop at the sign that says Los Angeles, 60 miles. And we don't get the kids out and we don't set up a picnic and hang out by that sign and say, you know what, for the rest of our life, every time for the next week, we're just going to sit here by this sign. Because the purpose of that sign is to point us to where we need to go to get to the people we love, right? And brothers and sisters, throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament, the supernatural works of God are very much a sign to point us to the great treasure and prize. That we of all people have the joy and delight of being in the presence of the holy creator of the universe who made us for himself and that we have this opportunity to have joy and delight with him. It's about, brothers and sisters, the kingdom of heaven. And it's about being part of the kingdom of heaven. And what makes the kingdom of heaven so wonderful is the king of heaven, our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And so as you walk through this passage, and as we went through it, you're going to see the word that Matthew uses over and over again through his gospel and through this section is kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Have a look with me again. Humor me if you would. Matthew 4.17 It says, from that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the what? Let me hear you say it. Kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's come near. Drop down to 423. And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the what? The good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. Now drop down to Matthew 5, verse 1. Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, it's what discipleship, brothers and sisters, is all about. It's about being part of 
Not the kingdom of men, the kingdom of darkness, the kingdoms of this world, the kingdom of Apple or Google or whatever else we belong to, or even the kingdom of Lighthouse Bible Church San Jose. It's the joy and desire and end of being part of the kingdom of heaven. And this is what Jesus' teaching and his preaching and his healing are all about. It's what his discipleship is all about. It's what the gospel is all about. And it's what, of course, the miracles and healings are signs. They're pointing to the kingdom of heaven. They are all about the good news of the king and kingdom of God's word. Now, when we come and hear that word kingdom, in our day and age, we use that term kingdom to refer to a country or a geographical space or region that is ruled over by a king. So we talk about the kingdom of Saudi Arabia. And typically we're talking about a country that is ruled by a monarchy. But in Scripture, both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, kingdom is different. In Greek in the New Testament, the term for kingdom is basileia. And it refers to not a country, but it refers to the rule and reign of a specific power and authority. The rule and reign of a specific power and authority. And in the Old Testament, the word for kingdom comes from the word king. It's about a person or an individual's power and authority and what comes out of that. All the benefits, all the blessings, and all the curses. And so when Matthew says the kingdom of heaven, he's not referring specifically to a geographical location out in space. He's making reference to the reign and rule of God. He's making reference to the power and authority of the King of Heaven, the Lord Himself. He's making reference to the power and authority of God's holiness and His Word, as opposed to the kingdom of darkness, which is the power and the authority and the rule and reign of sin and death and Satan, which, which is what rules over most of our kingdoms and most of our world and most of our corporations. Yes, I said that. But that's where Paul goes. And the kingdoms of men are typically kingdoms that are reigned and ruled, not in a geographic location. They're reigned and ruled by what? Our fallen expectations and desires. This is what rules our place of work, our marriages, our homes. This is what's ruling what's going on in the world today. As Russia invades Ukraine and terrible things happen and mass shootings happen around. What is reigning? It's not a specific geographical location or place. It's sin and darkness and human depravity. It's our unfulfilled expectations and desires that are fallen, run rampant, that is destroying not just our walk with God, but our lives with one another. In Matthew's gospel, the gospel of God's kingdom, the good news of God's kingdom, when it says that Jesus came preaching the good news of the kingdom, or the gospel of the kingdom, and that's directly tied to his statement, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The point that is being made is what is destroying our lives what is breaking us is the rule of our sin. 
And this is why when God's kingdom comes, His rule, His power, His authority, which brings light into our darkness, that is good news. And how has God brought that kingdom into our world? It's in and through the person and the ministry of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. In June 6, 1944, many people in Europe began to celebrate. And why did they do that? June 6, 1944. Because 156,000 Allied troops successfully stormed the beaches of Normandy in the north of France. And it was a signal when they landed and made the beachhead there. It was a signal of the beginning of the end of Nazi rule over Europe. In Matthew 4.16, when Matthew quotes Isaiah 9.2, and says, The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. The very beginning. And then he goes on in verse 17 and says, From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The point God's making in and through Matthew and through these God-breathed words is that Jesus' arrival in Galilee, His teaching, His preaching, and His healing, and His making of disciples, this is the invasion of God's King and His kingdom, the kingdom of God's Word that has come For one purpose. It's come to destroy the reign and rule. And the power and the authority of sin and darkness over God's people. And that has come as good news to save sinners one soul at a time. And this is why the Apostle Paul later in Romans 6.12, as he deals with believers in his epistle about the gospel who are wrestling with sin. And the point that he makes is, sin no longer reigns over you. It is still present. It is still present, but it doesn't rule over you. And he says in Romans 6.12, writing to believers in Rome, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. To make you obey its passions and lusts. Now why does he say this? Because for believers is good news. Your sin, your sinful desires may press you. They may knock at your door. They may try and persuade you. To walk away from Christ and his word. But if you're a child of God. You already have victory because Christ is present in you, because Christ is your king, because the one who is in you is greater than your sin. It doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean it's not a fight. It doesn't mean you don't lose a night's sleep, or you lose friends, or you lose family, or you lose a job. But nonetheless, sin will not have control over you if you belong to Christ, because He has brought the power and the authority And the rule and reign of God's spirit and his word over your life. And this, brothers and sisters, is what discipleship is all about. It is about Christ's heavenly invasion with his spirit and his word. In and through his gospel that destroys. That destroys the power and authority of sin's rule over our lives. 
destruction. And this is something we lose sight of as believers. Christ's goal in your life, if he is truly yours, if you've become a a, a Christian, if you're a disciple of him, is, listen, he's going to go after those things in your life where sin and darkness rules, and he's going to destroy them. It's a hostile takeover, brothers and sisters. It's not, hey, man, you're good, you're good to go. You've said the prayer, and, and it's okay that it's sticking around. Why? Because Jesus loves you, brothers and sisters. He loves you that much. If you had a sibling or a family member who had a substance abuse problem, would you let them come into your home and bring all their drugs with you and let it sit there on a regular basis? No, oh, it's okay. I love you. I want you to get better. You need to set that stuff apart. But that's okay that all that stuff is out there. Jesus doesn't love us in that way, brothers and sisters. And how does he destroy the power of sin's rule over our lives? He destroys it with the power and the authority and the rule of his spirit and his word. Rule, it means he takes charge and takes control of every aspect of our lives. It means he's in charge. So often our problem when it comes to interpreting these miracles or the blessing and it gets abused in the prosperity gospel is we want the power and the freedom of the gospel without the authority and rule of Christ and his word. We still want to be king with all the benefits that come from Christ's kingdom. But it doesn't work that way, brothers and sisters. We cannot have the king without the kingdom. We can't have the power of God's spirit and his word without the authority and rule of God's spirit and word over our lives. The good news of God's word and the good news of his kingdom and the good news of his king is that Christ has come to save us from our sin, not by ruling or taking control of part of our lives. He's come to save us, brothers and sisters, by taking charge of the entirety of our lives, every aspect. And this is what Christ's healing of every disease and every affliction that is noted in the Galilee region in verse 23 and 24 is all about. And this brings us to our second point for this morning. Christ's kingdom rules and cares for every aspect of our lives. And he does this, he rules over our lives and he cares for our lives with his word. In Matthew 4.23, Matthew writes, And he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So his fame spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. Now what's often neglected, and what Matthew makes very clear in verse 23, is that the power and authority of Jesus that heals every disease and every affliction is the power and authority that begins with the teaching of God's word and the proclamation of the gospel of the kingdom. A proclamation that calls sinners to repent. This idea of repentance and the reason Jesus brings it is our problem is we're dwelling in darkness. 
And the good news is light has come and because it's close to us and because Christ has come near to us because we can't come to Him, we are given this opportunity by God, by the power of His Spirit, by the power of His Word, by the power of the Gospel to step away from a life that is ruled by darkness and to come into the light. And brothers and sisters, when we do that, we don't do it halfway. We don't do that in part. When Matthew writes that Jesus healed every disease and every affliction among the people, contextually what Matthew is referring to is every kind of disease and affliction. Because in the following verse he lists specific kinds of illnesses and afflictions. And in verse 24, there are three specific kinds of disease and affliction that Matthew chooses to highlight. So he's not listing every disease. He's going for certain types to say, hey, I want you to have an idea of the big picture of what Jesus is doing. And there are diseases and afflictions that take over and rule someone's life. They're chronic illnesses. They're diseases and afflictions that very specifically he refers to various sickness or illness and pains that torment people. That word for pain, it means to be tortured or tormented. They're illnesses that come in and physically and spiritually cause us grief and torment. But they're also illnesses, if you notice, that really take over someone's identity. It's what we become known for. So it's this idea of of afflictions controlling our lives. And the first area is those oppressed by demons. Those oppressed by demons. Now we will see this frequently throughout Matthew's gospel. We'll see it in more depth and we will address it as we come to it as Jesus deals with it in more depth. But here Matthew is giving us an overview of Jesus' ministry. And he's referring to spiritual affliction. People who are chronically tormented by the kingdom of darkness and the king of darkness. The second one he refers to is those having seizures. In the Greek, it's literally moonstruck. And we get the word later lunatic from luna, moon, okay, in reference to those who have lost control, whether it's episodically or chronically, of their minds. They lose control of their minds and therefore they lose control of their bodies. And this becomes the characteristic of their lives. This is what they become known for in the community. That person who has lost his or her mind. And of course, under this umbrella comes epilepsy or seizures where there are episodic episodic bouts of losing control of brain function and therefore of your bodily function. The third area, paralytics. Those who have lost control of their bodies. And this includes things like cerebral palsy and strokes and accidents and injuries where people are permanently unable to control their bodies. So as we go through this, we see Matthew's going categorically. And it's not by accident that he highlights afflictions that powerfully seize control and torment and take over our spirit, our mind, and our bodies. He's referring to the big ticket items that take control of an entirety of a person. The whole man. 
And when Matthew repeatedly says, Jesus healed them all, he's pointing out there was not any kind of disease or affliction brought to Jesus in severity or type affecting our minds, our bodies, or our spirits that Jesus would not and could not heal. And the word for heal here in Greek, we talked about it last week, is therapeuo. And therapeuo, from which we get the word therapeutic, refers to the compassionate care and restoration of what has been lost or broken. The compassionate care or restoration of what has been lost or broken. These folks had lost their minds. Christ restored their minds. These people had lost their bodies. Christ restored their bodies. These people had lost their spirit. And Christ restored their spirit. And when Jesus taught God's word and he proclaimed the gospel of the kingdom and he talked about repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and he attaches this healing ministry to it. Jesus is drawing for us a connection. He's fulfilling a promise and message that came straight out of God's word in Deuteronomy and Isaiah and in Genesis and the Old Testament. He's making a connection here. Now, the connection he's not making is, ah, oh, you know, you talked badly to your mother-in-law last night, so God struck you down. This is a big picture. When he talks about repentance and coming into the kingdom, and then he provides healing of every affliction and disease that breaks us down, he's making the point that what has broken us what has broken the image of God in us, in our spirits and on our bodies, in our spirits, in our mind and our bodies, what has broken the image of God in every aspect of our lives is the tyranny and reign of sin over our lives. And as I said, it's not specific. Oh, you talked unkindly to someone, therefore it's living in a sinful world. We live in a world that is ruled by sin and darkness and Satan. It has given itself over to the idolatries of this world. And the consequence of that is the curse of God. And the consequence of this is a brokenness. A brokenness in our relationship with God and a brokenness in our relationship with one another. And this is what breaks us in our spirits and in our minds and in our bodies. This is what accounts for the mass shootings we see. It doesn't happen because someone is having a bad day. And this is what happens, brothers and sisters, in hospitals. And we grieve over this and Christ grieves over this. And as Christ comes, he's showing his compassion and his care and saying, look, this is why I brought the gospel. This is why I have come. This is why I'm bringing light. This is why I'm calling you to repent. It's my love for you that the entirety of your life, can you see, is broken by the tyranny of sin and darkness and the remedy is me. That's what those miracles and signs point to because the only person who can remake your spirit, the only person who can remake your mind, the only person who can remake your body is the creator of the universe himself, 
the Lord God of Genesis through Revelation. And the miracles point to the revelation, this unprecedented burst of power and authority of God's word that restores and puts people back together again. That gives them back what they permanently lost. Well, there's only one person who can do that. It's the king of heaven who brings us into the kingdom of heaven. And he's demonstrating that in the kingdom of heaven, the king of heaven, by the power of his word, has rule and control over every aspect of our lives, our spirit, our minds, and our bodies. Do you belong to Jesus, brothers and sisters? What do you think about when you're away from church? What do you do with your bodies on a good day or a bad day? Does it belong to Jesus? Well, the good news of the gospel is Jesus has come to take control of that and to destroy sin's tyranny over every aspect of your life. The challenge is a little bit here, brothers, as postmodern Christians, we have a tendency to try and control our kingdoms by compartmentalizing them. It's too big for me to manage. So I've got my church life over here. I have ministry here. I have my married life here. I have my parenting over here. And we have them in each of these little neat and tidy boxes. And then there's my fitness and my health, right? My 401k plan. Each of these tiny little, tidy little boxes. And we try and control our kingdoms by compartmentalizing. And our life becomes a game of Tetris as we try and make sure that all these little compartments in our lives don't conflict and don't fall apart. And then typically in our lives, our marriages and our relationships, where does conflict typically break out? It's when we can't hold all these compartments together. It's not uncommon, brothers and sisters, when we come to Jesus, when we come for biblical counseling, when we come for shepherding, more often than not, and this is myself included, we tend to think, I've got a problem because one part of my life or one part of my kingdom isn't functioning terribly well. If Jesus would just fix this one part, if Jesus would just fix my finances, if Jesus would just fix my job, if Jesus would just fix my employer, if Jesus would just fix my spouse, we're good to go. Okay, let's get this one area taken care of. And then everything is going to be good. And then I'm good to go. Right? How are you doing, Pastor Mark? Well, Jesus fixed my finances. I'm great. I'm good to go. And it's only as God continues to press us, brothers and sisters, bring trials into our lives. He squeezes us in His love that we begin to see that much of our lives are, in fact, really ruled, not by Christ, but are by our very fallen and our very sinful and our very dark expectations and experiences, and desires. And how do we know that that's the case? Because, brothers, sin always separates, and it always breaks, and it always fragments. And so when we see these things fracturing our relationships with our spouses, our relationships with our brothers and sisters, when we see them fracturing our minds, that we're of a divided mind, we know, this is why Paul, he talks about in Ephesians 4, the purpose of your pastors and your elders is to equip you with the word of God, to speak the truth in love 
For what end? Not just to come and gather you for a sermon, to build you up into Christ. So he says, Paul says, so that you're no longer like children or people on a boat getting tossed to and fro. It's that unity of heart and mind that comes when Christ rules over every aspect of our lives. And we see what Jesus is showing through this gospel ministry is what we so desperately need is a king and a kingdom to rule and heal and control the entirety of our life, our spirit, our mind, our body, to end the tyranny of sin. How? With the light of God's word, ruling, ruling, and taking charge and taking control of our lives. Brothers and sisters, are we willing to let Christ and his word take control of our lives? Michael Horton writes, Christ rules us in order to save us. And he saves us in order to rule us. Brothers and sisters, Christ's love and his care and his perfect care for us comes through the rule of his word. And this is the good news of God's kingdom. It's the good news of a rule in our lives and a control that is not ours. It comes from a God who is perfect and good and holy and merciful and gracious. Someone who shepherds and cares for the entirety of his sheep. In 1953, my grandfather received communication from friends in China that the communists were taking over. And the communication that came to my grandfather was, if you love your wife and your son, if you like your family, the people who are coming in and taking control of this country are terrible, you had better get them out quick. So what did my grandfather do? Did he bring my father over for a vacation to Canada? Did he say, son, we'll, we'll bring you over for college and then you go back. No, he did everything within his power to get my grandmother and my father out of the south of China, and to bring them to Canada. And what happened when my dad came to Canada? Was it a great life? Stuck in a laundry, cooking at the age of 14 in a Chinese laundry, and then going to school and being treated as a special needs student because he was 13 and didn't speak the language terribly well. It was rough. But what? He became like a little child again. But years later, he was able to take his family to a trip to our little village in Toysan. See the pigs running around, the peanut farmers? Those are my people. And he realized, as rough a person as my grandfather was, as hard as that road was in the beginning, he had been brought into a kingdom that was far greater than what he'd left behind. And seeing in hindsight, there is no regret. Now that's an illustration, brothers and sisters. But do we think about God's kingdom and our discipleship in that way? And this brings us to our final point this morning, which we'll tie up with. Christ's kingdom necessarily leads us to his cross and his resurrection. Christ's kingdom necessarily leads us to his cross and his resurrection. After the miracles, Jesus doesn't stop and say everything's good. As we go to Matthew 5, 1, he brings his disciples where? Onto a mountain, then he brings them to himself. 
And the purpose of the gospel, brothers and sisters, and the purpose of the kingdom, and the purpose of the word of God, and the purpose of the miracles, is to bring us to Christ so that we can see him and behold him for who he truly is according to God's word. That's the purpose. And as we come to the gospel, we see that there are a lot of miracles at the beginning, but they start to fade out as Jesus continues throughout the gospels. Why? Because, brothers and sisters, he didn't just come to do miracles. He came to destroy the tyranny and control of sin and death and Satan in your lives and mine. And the place that was promised in God's word where he would do that would be on the cross. Where he would give his life as a sacrifice and a substitute for you and I. And to bring forgiveness in our lives. And then to rise again on the third day in order to give us new life. This is the focal point of the gospel. And similarly, brothers and sisters, when Christ comes into our lives, there are many things He does. And He loves and cares for us perfectly. But it's important that we see. He He just doesn't come in and fix things so that we can go and live however we want. Part of His purpose in our life is to bring us to the cross where we see most fully who He is, where we are most fully forgiven, where our sin is most fully destroyed, and then to give us a completely new life in Him. It is the centerpiece of the gospel in our lives. And this is why the Apostle Paul comes and he says, what what will I boast in? Will I boast in my incredible intellect, my ability to write great epistles, my gifts, my miracles? No, the Apostle Paul says, I will boast in nothing but the cross. And then, complimentary, later in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I will boast in my weakness and I will boast in my frailties because when I'm weak, then I am strong. Why? Because what he's really boasting in is not himself. He's boasting in the cross and the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, is Christ your king? Have you enjoyed the beauty and wonder of being part of his kingdom where sin no longer controls your lives? Are there areas of your life where God is pressing you and trying to get a hold of you and get your attention and making it hard to let you recognize that you really haven't surrendered that yet to Christ and he needs to come in and he needs to correct because his desire is to restore you and love you and care for you with his authority and his rule and his word. And to do that, he needs to bring you or some of those areas to the cross where something needs to die so Christ can live as king. Let's close in prayer. Lord Jesus, you are king and Lord of all. Would you enable us, Lord Jesus, to see the beauty and the greatness and the glory of how you love and care and restore every aspect of our lives So that we might be with you and we might be like you and that we might share you and your good news with the world that so desperately needs it. In your name we pray, amen.